Hello, it is 10 a.m. in New York, 4 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. The definition of responsibility is a duty to take care of something or good judgment and the ability to act correctly and make decisions on your own. Many of us who are living in communities in conflict and question right now or leading even online communities are asking ourselves, what is our responsibility right now? In this clear climate where we're moving from non-racism into anti-racism and we're realizing where we've been fighting for justice or where we've been complacent, the idea of responsibility is imperative. And I couldn't think of a better person to join us on Expert Happy Hour today than Naomi Hathaway, who is the founder of I Am A Triangle. It's an online community with thousands of people who are globally located around the world. And what we have in common in I Am a Triangle is that they've lived around the world away from their passport countries, right? So the idea of community there to build globally is a challenging one, and she has been able to do it. This is not the first time that she's been on Expat Happy Hour. You might recognize her from episode 12, Community and Triangles with Naomi Hathaway. Naomi, thank you for joining us again on Expat Happy Hour. Sunday, I'm so excited to be back and um, I feel like this is going to be a a really insightful and deep conversation. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Uh, This is something I can't do on my own and this is where I need to bring in professionals like you to come (laughs) in and and lead this. Let me just tell you more about Naomi for those of you who are new to her world. Um, Beyond being the founder of this global community, she's also owns 8th and Home Real Estate and Relocation. It's a nationwide referral network matching families on the move with real estate professionals who chase communities and not commissions. She's also lived in several locations in the United States with her family, with her children, and they've also moved overseas, including to places like Delhi, India, where she was able to find a way to thrive midst of chaos. They also did a stint in Singapore and are now back in the United States, and they've traipsed their way from Florida to Virginia to Ohio and now back into her hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. It's clear when you know Naomi that she's passionate about community building and empowering others to thrive, not just survive in places that they call home. Something, Naomi, I don't know if you know about me, but something I've always been impressed by is your natural default is community. No matter what you're doing, it's, it's, it's just like your ingrained default of engaging. That's, you know, it's so funny that you say that because I've started to realize that about myself also, that it is the default and it's where my needle points to, um, even in times of stress and in chaos and conflict. Um, so thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, it's it's impressive. And you know, since we spoke in 2017 on Expat Happy Hour, you've gone on to do 
other really amazing things. And from what I know from your work that you've been, you know, had your hands deep into these conversations about what do we do about the lack of equity in housing? What do we do about rampant racial bias in the education system for, for specifically in the United States right now? And that has driven you to find ways to have a more of a local impact in your city, which again goes to the focus of community. And I know most recently you've been um, very active in the design of pandemic-related housing crisis, right? Again, touches on community. And you even have your eye on an elected seat in <laughs> Omaha City Council. That's so exciting. I do. But you know, Sunday, it's funny because you're saying it, it all goes back to community, but it also goes back to what you started out the, the, the podcast with, with responsibility um, mm -hmm. and our own individual. So yes, yeah. Okay. I have only questions. I have no answers. Um, all I know is that when I'm thinking about the audience that's listening to Expat Happy Hour, most likely, you know, living in a globally mobile sort of context, maybe working in international NGOs or doing charitable work and developing contexts, maybe engage in community work in communities that they've only had limited experience with. So while this conversation is applicable to anybody who is connected to community, um, we're thinking about the globally mobile community who might have their hands in, in this specific context. Um, I want to hear from you, you know, what is the most important thing that you think we need to be talking about right now in the current climate where we're looking left and right and asking ourselves, what's our responsibility to ourselves, to our neighbors, to our loved ones, to our fellow humans in this space of dismantling racism? Yeah. And, you know, I think Sunday, it's, it's good to kind of go back also to what you just said about uh, folks that are internationally and globally mobile. One of the things that I am very aware of is that my work that I'm doing currently uh, is possible because I'm back home. Um, I'm back mm -hmm. home, you know, where my passport says that I'm from. I'm back home where uh, I can vote uh, in person, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and be involved civically and, and in the Democrat or the uh, democracy of our country. And so when you're living away from home, sometimes that's not possible. So I just want to honor and hold space also for the people that want to be very involved in the places that they live, but can't um, because mm -hmm. of um, the structure of the country they live, they live in. Um, but regardless, um, the message is still the same. And I, I think it is about dismantling comfort almost um, in our own lives. And there's a, there's an Instagram artist. Uh, her name is Danielle Coke and she goes by the handle. Oh, happy Danny. And she's well known for putting hard things into beautiful packages, into beautiful art. And she recently did one that said uh, there was a heart and an image of a home and an image of a world. And it said, until you fix it here, and it pointed to the heart, and until you talk about it here, and it pointed to the home, we can't do anything about this. And it pointed to the globe. Mm -hmm. And I'm paraphrasing, and I might have gotten that wrong. But I think the sentiment is true. And I, I believe that folks that are in expat communities, one of the biggest responsibilities you have to each other is to have the hard conversations and to move past what might be surface um, chit chat or uh, conversations about, I mean, obviously no one's traveling right now, but, um, but you know, it's typical that we mm -hmm. talk about holidays and, and school things. And I think it's just very important to go past the surface and identify and acknowledge what's in our hearts 
Um, what, what biases do we bring to the table? Because I think that's something that we all have as bias. Um, and then taking that responsibility. I, there's so much happening in the interwebs and on the internet and even in local conversations around what do we do? How do we fix this? What do I do next? And especially with expats, we all know what to do, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we know how to pick up and pack and move our families from country to country. And uh, if we're not the working partner, we know how to find communities where we can thrive. We know how to get our children engaged in school. And so use those same tools and that same skill set to figure this out also. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that would be one of the strongest things I could say is that the minute you say to yourself or say out loud, what do we do or what can I do? Flip that back and remind yourself that you do know how to find the answers. We might not, not know what the answer is, but we know how to find it, uh, how to right. reach out to people, um, how to find books to read and how to um, start the education process. Well, what I'm hearing you say is take this moment and attack these questions with the same sort of fervor that we would if we just found out we're moving across the Absolutely. country or across the world in, in four weeks, like we all, like we do. Absolutely. And when, what do we do? We, we get books, we research, we put the ping out to say, does anyone know someone that I can talk to? Does anyone mm-hmm. understand this specific neighborhood? Um, and, and like you said, it is fervor. We go after it. And I think that part of what's scary about dismantling racism and systemic oppression and inequities is that our response, or at least mine, I'll speak to myself, it's to freeze and to go numb and to kind of almost cover my ears and go la 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 la. Like I, it's, it's too much. It's too big. It's been going on for hundreds of years. So therefore I can't possibly do anything about it. Uh, Imagine if we had that response to a new expat location. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Can everybody just pause for a second? Like take in what Naomi is saying. If this is important to us, we have the capability and skills and know-how to get very active and make magic happen because we do it all the time in our global lives. And then the question is, if we're not, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it's also important to say, um, as we know, for every expat move, there are 900 different ways it can happen. There's you know, mm-hmm. some get packages and some do it by themselves. Some move into another two household living situation. Um, some are doing it solo. So it's the same for this journey of unpacking bias and dismantling the great oppression. It, it's going to look differently for everybody. And I think that it's important to realize that and to not shame yourself for going after maybe someone else's lane and, and wanting to copycat or follow because it feels safe. But just to remember also that you know enough inside of you for what your lane might be. So like you mentioned mm-hmm. early on, I've decided that my lane uh, is to work in the housing space and to work on some of the inequities that exist there. And then furthermore, um, have decided to make it really local and to run for, for elected office, which that's obviously um, a privilege that I have because, like I said, I'm back home Um but I think what I'm trying to say is find something that you know you have a passion for and go there because the, the reality is, the sad reality, everything that we experience on a day-to-day basis is impacted by racism. So mm-hmm. if food security is your passion or gardening, 
go that way if mm-hmm. education and ableism in the way that a child can access a classroom is your passion because of what your children have gone through, go that way. If it's religion, if it's nonprofits, if literally any, no one listening to this podcast could throw me something that they're passionate about and I wouldn't be able to find a through line to racism and systemic oppression. Um, So, you know, even if, even if the encouragement is to start small and just go there, um, that's a start. Mm -hmm. That, that sort of, I think takes away some of the overwhelm, um, for people who've had the privilege of not having to think about this every day mm-hmm. of their entire lives mm-hmm. <laughs> and every interaction, right? Um, it, because if you are able to escape thinking about this every day, that's obviously a sign of the privilege that you carry. And now it's like, it is a new thing. And now take that existing passion and go further with this new thing or amplifying it in a mm-hmm. way that you haven't done before. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have to give a caveat My for, for folks that don't know um, me and my story. My dad is black and my mom is white um, and I have light skin um, as a result of, of that marriage. And, and my uh, existence on this earth is different than it would be if both of my parents were black. Um, so I do have to give that caveat. Um, I only know my experience walking through the world as do you. Um, and I, I think that we need to, this is a bold statement, but Privilege, yes, uh, and responsibility almost trumps that privilege. So we're past the point of identifying and pointing out our privileges um, because now it's all about what we're going to do about it, period, regardless of our privilege. Right, right. exactly. So um, we all need to take action. I'm hearing from you. There's no excuse. If you've got a passion, if you've got something you have a remote interest in, you can follow that through. and. And do your part, stay in your lane, but do your part. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, it also can be as simple as that, oh, happy Danny artwork, start at home. And I'm not suggesting, like so many are, I, I, I <laughs> want to be cautious and not suggest, you don't have to go talk to all of your family members who might have um, made a racist comment in the past. I don't know that that's actually the, the healthiest way to take action. But if you're raising children or if you have children in your life, which most of us do in in one capacity or another, start there. Um, I've long said for many years that we are all leaders um, and that we all have a platform. And sometimes the platform is our kitchen table. And I think that if we all did our part to raise the next generation with more awareness of their own bias and more of an anti-racist lens, that's, that's the work. Um, there's a beautiful book called This Book is Anti-Racist by Tiffany Jewell. And um, it's written for children. It's written for young adults. It's beautiful. It's graphically designed in such a way that it takes you through the journey of understanding what it is to be anti-racist. Um, and so I think even if that's all you do is pick a child in your life and lean into the, to them and their journey, that's that's big enough. So when I hear that, this is where I find the challenge is the, um, to start at home and do your work, do the learning. And, and there's this massive sense of urgency because yeah. people's lives are literally on the line. So, I mean, someone who has uh, an influence in an organization or a platform has a, has a responsibility and there's an urgency to take action. Mm-hmm. 
So what do you think, you know, one of the questions I have is what do you, what have you observed? What are some organizations reflexes right now that you think should actually be resisted? And what are some examples of organizations? And it could be, you know, someone who has an online platform, or it could be someone who's ahead of a small NGO. I mean, we can talk about any context yeah. there, but who's doing it well? Well, I think I think one of the important things to remember is that our our reflex and our our response to something like this that feels so big is to start spinning. It's either to be numb or it's to start spinning. And I would I would encourage folks that feel spinny. I don't think that that's an actual word, but if you feel like you're topsy-turvy and you don't know which way to start, just stop and be still because it's not serving anybody. Like you said, Sunday, people are dying. Um, and it's our reaction to want to go fix all the things and jump into all the things. But that's not helpful um, mm-hmm. until you're able to realize what is yours to do. So right. what I've been watching, um, is, especially in America, um, now that I've been back, my, my global lens is a little bit um, smaller. But... What I've been noticing is every company is rushing to make a statement for fear of otherwise being shamed because of their silence. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I'm seeing people do well is if they feel the need to speak up sooner than later, to speak up from a place of humility and say, I don't know what to say, mm-hmm. or I don't know what's going to be next, but know that I'm committed. Um, those mm-hmm. are some of the the phrases or the sentiments that I think have been really impactful to me. Um, what I think needs to be resisted are those messages or those feelings of we're going to go hire black people because uh, mm-hmm. that'll fix everything. Or we are going to, we have a new initiative and it's called the DEI initiative, which stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. That also doesn't fix anything. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of companies uh, and organizations go external to find experts to bring in, which on the face of it is wise uh, because as business owners, as CEOs, as presidents of companies, you have a task to do and it may not be uh, to make sure that you're uh, a racially equitable company. But sometimes the first step might be to see who's already in your organization, mm. um, who, whose voice may have previously been silenced um, because of bias. Um, so I'm seeing I'm seeing that as something that I would say needs to be resisted before a company goes out and hires someone external. Do the work internally to see if you already have someone whose voice has previously been silenced, and bring them to the table. Um, the other thing that I think, you know, from that table uh, mentality would be, um, you have to truly be willing to let others speak, and you have to be willing to listen. The seat at the table does nothing if you have to sit on your hands uh, with duct tape over your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, imagine what a lot of companies are doing right now is pulling up the seat and they, they are telling us all on the internet. I've, I've opened up the table. The seats are there. We've asked uh, black and brown people uh, and otherwise marginalized people to sit with us. Um, but then they're not asking for their advice and their leadership. So, uh, or training the people. I mean, uh, Catrice M. Jackson always talks about, um, weapons of whiteness. Mm-hmm you know, or they're, they're not training their, their white employees, what weapons that they're using unknowingly. Yep. Yep. Right. So it's actually putting more people at risk. Right. There's, there's a local organization here in my hometown that, uh, the CEO really did some internal thinking and she brought in someone to do a staff, um, presentation, which was beautiful. Um, this, 
that the person who spoke has a lot of experience uh, being marginalized. He is from another country that was very much oppressed. And he just delivered this beautiful um, mantra to the rest of the organization. Um, The folks that were white felt held and comforted and not shamed, but encouraged. The black and brown folks felt seen and heard. And then they did nothing with it. Mm. Um, and I think that's something else to just be very cautious of when, when we're talking about our responsibility. It's not a one and done. Um, you can't do something that feels right in the moment and then pat yourself on the back and say, oh, thank goodness we got that taken care of. Um, it's, it's a journey. So people who are doing it well are committed for the long haul. They're not silencing those who have something important to say in terms of things that have went wrong or ideas on how to do better. What else? I think that the other thing is an, a, a responsibility to sit in the ick. I mean, there is nothing about what's going on right now globally that any of us have ever lived through before. Yes, slavery, yes, racism, all of those things. But the combination of pandemic, um, we're seeing protests happening at levels that haven't happened in many, many years. And I think part of it's because people are able to protest, where if if we weren't living in the middle of a pandemic, people would be in offices and Mm -hmm. uh, in their field of work. Um, And none of us know what's next. And none of us know how to process the feelings and the ick. So I guess, I guess the other thing that I would say is when you, when you stop silencing and when you start listening, realize that the inner turmoil probably has just begun because as you start listening to other people, you're asking them to tell you their lived experience. (laughs) And often with the lived experience comes a whole new awareness of holy bejeebus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What am I getting myself into? What am I getting myself into? So here, I'm going to be really honest here. So I'm a, I'm a community leader, I guess, I, you know, I didn't really think of myself yes, this wait, way, yeah. but, start, but start I am a community over. leader. You are. Yes, you are. Right. I have 2000 members in expats on purpose and I value each and every person in there and we're an incredibly diverse group, but yet there are, it's pretty predictable which voices are active yeah. in my group. Right. Yeah. Um, so for me, I mean, I'm, I'm super transparent about this and it feels vulnerable to be transparent about it, but that's not that uncomfortable. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like big right. deal if I'm, if, you know, if I'm feeling vulnerable, um, what's worse is if people don't feel invited. Yeah. And yeah. so as, as a one, I guess the thing I'm saying is if you run a Facebook group, you're a community leader. Yes. And I think everybody who's listening to this who runs any sort of online community or gathers any sort of group of people together, you're a community leader. Yes. Two, we have a responsibility. Yes. Right? And and for me, I think about, wow, like, have I been taking that responsibility seriously? Now I feel almost reckless for letting 2,000 people <laughs> come together in one space and I mean, it's been wonderful inside the group in terms of, um, in terms of the harmony and support I've witnessed. Um, yet I'm not equipped to, you know, I don't have guidelines in place. What if someone says something horribly racist right now? I have not trained my admin to, to be able to handle that. Like I don't have a game plan. And I, now I feel 
that is actually irresponsible when I have opened up this group of 2000 people from all over the world to have connection with each yeah. other. It's gone well so far, but when I, <laughs> you know what I mean? But when I'm thinking about it in hindsight, I'm like, geez, yeah. I think we all need to start taking our responsibility way more seriously. So there's a couple of things I would say to that. Um, <clears throat> Emmy McCarthy and I, uh, Emmy runs Amsterdam Mamas, which is a large Facebook group that she's run for years. Uh, and she also is doing some work with Facebook right now around equity and all of the, all of the things that Facebook needs. Um, her and I have been working together on community and leadership for many years and looking at redefining how that, how that space is. So I guess the things that I would say is, yes, if you are running a group of any kind, online, offline, um, via text thread, via WhatsApp, um, it is a community and you are a community leader. I think there's a, um, a difference between community leader and community builder. And I think that mm -hmm. that is where maybe you're seeing that what you're calling irresponsibility is this, the invitation to step into um, the truth that you also are a community builder. And mm -hmm. with the responsibility of being a builder comes the awareness to shift it from being a space, which is what you called your group, which is true, uh, into, oh gosh, I'm, I'm struggling with the right word. When you invite people into a space, you're hoping that everyone gets along, right? When you, when you mm -hmm. host a dinner party, you maybe seat people next to each other that might get along or might have interesting things to say to each other. And then you kind of cross your fingers, hope that the uh, food comes out of the oven well and that everyone is happy. <laughs> what you don't plan for is exactly what you've said. And I think that as community leaders, if you take the one small step to just establish what I would call riverbanks, where mm -hmm. this is the boundary of what we don't tolerate. And on the other end, this is the boundary of what we encourage you to step outside of your comfort zone. The stuff in the middle will work itself out. Mm -hmm. um, but you do have to establish the riverbanks. Um, otherwise, you're right. You may wake, wake up one day um, and something will, something will have happened, especially in online groups. Um, right. I will say, though, for those people that are in community leadership positions, find the advocates that believe in the values and the mission of your community so that they can help. Uh, because just because you're a community leader doesn't mean that the responsibility of this work is all on you. Um, that's where, Naomi, that's where I, what I mean about everything for you, it's ingrained about community. And I wouldn't even think about that. I feel, you know, maybe it's the individualistic culture, you know, that I was raised in, but I'm like, it's all on me. I have to do it. Right. And maybe it's the entrepreneur or the solopreneur part of me, but the fact that you are even like, Hey, look inside your community, who are the advocates ask them to be on board. Those are, those are not natural instincts for mm -hmm. me. And, and that's a natural instinct for you. Well, I don't, yeah. And I think that it's not necessarily as much natural as it was learning through my own experience of <laughs> my, the, the, I am a triangle group. When we were on Facebook, we lived through Trump's election and the subsequent travel bans. And I learned a lot about, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't speak a lot and I learned a lot. Um, right. about what just one of many things you learn and lived through oh, in that group. Goodness. I know. Oh my goodness. But it, it really shone a light on the fact that change leadership, which is what we're all going through right now, cannot live solely on the shoulders of one person because we'll mess it up. Mm -hmm. um, and that's too heavy of a burden, even though we've accepted the burden of leadership, maybe yeah. some uh, 
unwillingly, but we've still accepted it by stepping into that, that role. If you try and do it all yourself, I can guarantee you that you will fall and that you will mess it up. And so it's better to think proactively about who you can ask to help you. Um, Mm -hmm. And help is going to look different for everyone. Like you had said, there's people that are quieter. There's people that don't feel as um, willing to step up. So find roles where they might be able to fit. Ask them to host. I'm just thinking very specifically about a Facebook group. Ask them to host a Friday um, post where they take the leadership to gather. um, I'm just thinking off the cuff. uh, Show me your garden. Show me show me what you're growing. Um, that can help build their muscles of comfort and um, strength of, of starting to use their voice. Um, and I think at the end of all of it, if all we've done as leaders is linked arms with someone else that also is a leader, accidental, unwilling, or quiet leader, that's that's the work too, is helping them find steady ground in their footing. Um goodness. I feel like I'm a million different ways right now, but well, I'm, I mean, I'm just trying to take it in. First of all, what I'm taking in is I I just want to share this with the audience. Like for me, it's a paradigm shift. If you have an online or an offline group, if you are the one who is the administrator of a WhatsApp chat, right. You know, if the text thread, whatever it is, we are community leaders. Like that's a different, that's a different paradigm. It's not, I, I'm the admin of this chat, right? right? It's, it's about responsibility. And, and thank you for naming that, that, that I, I was cognizant of the leadership of the community, but not the building. And then the next thing that I'm hearing from you is don't do it alone because you will mess it up. Of course I'll mess it up, especially when it comes around dismantling racism, because I was born and raised in a society where, you know, that's been built into me and I'm unlearning as I go. Right. So of course I'm going to have blind spots. And, and that is really important, I think. Um, so here I'm, again, I'm going to ask something that I feel vulnerable asking and I know other people are probably going to ask that too. So if you are in a community where you have predominantly white leadership or group members, the last thing, if you've been listening and learning, the last thing you want to do is, is have a token, right? Like, let me just ask the one person of color here, if they'll help, like you can't, how do you get out of that bind? Like you, you know enough to not do that, but then you know, you need voices. So how do you get out of that? Well, and I'm going to go out also on a limb and be vulnerable and say that there are Brown and black women who will listen to my words and they will disagree with what I'm about to say. And that's also okay. Um, for some of us, being the only black or brown person in the room is our responsibility. And so for me, and I I can only speak for me and my experience, but for me, when I have seen myself sitting at the leadership table at, at, at a nonprofit organization and realizing that I'm the only woman of color, that's my responsibility is to step into what we typically call the token hire or the token leader and do something with it. Tokenism, in my mind, is only that if we're just sitting on our hands at that seat at the table. We turn it into advantageous advantageous leadership when we open our mouths and demand that we be heard. And so in an online community space, if you feel that you're the one that is different or the other, and it's predominantly white leadership, 
if you stay in tokenism, then when they ask you to help, that's how you'll feel that you've just been asked because you're the black girl. Uh, But you can shift your mentality and you can offer and say, I have something to lend to this. I would like to gather the other black, black and brown folks in this community. And like, I'd like to do an offsite or I'd like to do a side conversation or I'd like mm-hmm. to, I'd like to be interviewed on your podcast or mm-hmm. what have you. Um, I think that we, I think that I for a long time sat in that oppression of tokenism instead of just grabbing it by the hair and saying, yes, thank you. I am here mm-hmm. as the only one. And here's what we're going to do about it. Here's how I'm going to bring along my sister who sits in the corner because she's too afraid to say something. Or here's how I'm going to grab your hand Sunday and we're going to together as a brown woman and a white woman have this conversation. Um, so I, I just feel like, yes, to tokenism because it's the only way we can get started. Um, <laughs> there, there you have it. Yeah, I'm listening. Um, I'm listening through a lens of um, a female in a context, a work context with predominantly men, let's say, and I'm just trying to connect to it with the only experience I can, you know, connect to, because I don't know that experience. Um, And I'm hearing it through that lens of what is my responsibility as a woman to show up in that male dominated context. That's how I'm trying to hear it. Obviously I can't understand. I don't understand. And and And, sometimes to use that example of, uh, the solo female in a male dominated um, space, then oftentimes you end up with the, she's too aggressive or she's too loud or mm-hmm. all of those things. Um, so in that case, I think it's important to b- bring along someone uh, next to you. So if you are in leadership and you're the only one, whatever the only one is for you, mm-hmm. uh, it could be anything. It could be that you are disabled. It could be that you are the only person of a practicing faith in a room full of, of non faith folks, whatever, um, find someone to bring along with you. And that it's that linking of the arm. And you could say, you know, I'm so thankful that you asked me to do this project. And I know that if I do it with Jamal, we'll be better for the organization. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to bring Jamal to the next meeting and then X. So if you're the only female, you're going to, you know, you're going to ask to bring Tanisha with you. Um, not only does it bolster your voice, but it also gives that other person that foot in the door. Um, and it goes back to sponsorship of each other, uh, which is a different version of leadership uh, than mentorship is. Um, sponsorship is when you'll bang the table for someone else. And we have to set the example um, for others. So if you're the only female, you have to set the other the example for other females. And I think, Sunday, I think part of it too is disattached. Uh, unattaching and disassociating ourselves with the result or the outcome. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not mine to fix. If I'm the only female in a room full of men, I'm not there to fix them and their perceptions. Uh, If I'm the only Brown person in a room full of white people, I'm not there to fix those folks either. Um, It's, it goes back to that lane. I want to see housing equity in my city. And that's what I'm there to do. Um, and it takes a lot of learning and growing. And I'm still, I still wake up every day and know that I need to learn more. Um, that's, that's a lot, isn't it? I, I feel like I'm just there's, taking no it in. Bow, there's no bow to put on this. Um, right. I think they're important questions. And I was just kind of thinking about why is growth one of my leading values? Because I have to learn. 
Well, and I think, you know, that's a good, that's a good statement as well. Um, growth, I think sometimes gets in our way. Uh, for me, growth looks like knowledge and knowledge mm-hmm. gets in my way because I continue to say, well, I'll just read one more book or I'll listen mm-hmm. to one more podcast. Um, the fallacy in, in that knowledge is when you don't do anything with it. Right. And I think the same can be said for growth. Growth is a forward mechanism. And if we also don't do the side to side, so I'm recovering from a pretty nasty broken leg accident. And for the longest time, my physical therapist kept saying just one step forward as I was relearning how to walk one step forward, one step forward. And then one day she shook it up and completely knocked me off my axis. And she said, now take a step to the side. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I know how to go Mm. forward. And she's like, but you can't go forward until you also learn how to move inside the space that you're already in, which is the side to side. And I think it's a good metaphor for this growth and knowledge and dismantling of racism is it's nuanced and you, you can go forward as hard and fast as you want, but you also have to stop in the stillness and make sure that your left to right is also checked. Um, so, and for me personally in this journey, it's like, I know that by going forward, I'm going to make a big mistake and that's the learning. And I can't learn unless I'm moving side to side mm-hmm. and forward and back and mm-hmm. pausing and all of those things. And there's a, there's like a, you know, you want to protect your ego. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, I don't want to, you don't want to mess this up, but there's too much at stake. I got to get over myself and keep going because yeah. there's too much at stake. The one thing I will say too, Sunday, to go back a little bit just to the, what do you do if you're a white leader and you need, you know, that you need to fill in the blank. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that's good is, is something called signaling, which is uh, Nilifer Merchant talks a lot about it um, in her book about onlyness and finding that spot that's yours to stand in. I think as leaders, if we signal to our communities and say something like, for example, I know that I need to say something. Here's where my personal values intersect with this work. And I'm still working on what that means for our community, but I'm signaling, you don't have to use that word, but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going out there to those of you, if you feel led to help me in this, or if you feel like you have something you want to say, I want to offer the platform to you. Cause then what you're doing is you're signaling to the folks that might feel quieted or silenced or not good enough or not educated enough to be able to quietly raise their hand to you and say, I'd like to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that gives everyone a stronger footing to stand on because it's linked up. Um, So you can, in the statement, just signal what your hope is. And then that also addresses some of that tokenism stuff too, where you're not going to the black person to say, what do you think? Can you help me? You're Mm -hmm. opening it up to everyone. Right. I love that. And that's, it goes back to that, um, the metaphor that you keep bringing that I'm going to hold dear is linking arms. Like, Mm -hmm it's that game that you play in school. I think where you link arms and you make each other stronger because yeah. you're doing it. Yep. It's like, I got my arm out here. If anybody wants to link up, yep. like you don't have to, but if you feel like it, yep. then, then link up. Yeah. I think it's the wonderful. other thing that I would say uh, around the arm um, kind of analogy, someone told me a long time ago that when you're doing the work of community building or any kind of work that's human related, putting your arm out feels super scary Uh, But if you envision holding the space of the work that you're doing or holding the pain or the work that is to be done or the, um, the angst and the chaos, you can still hold it in your hand and there's still space that's protecting your heart. And I think that that is 
Um, one thing that I would like to say to everyone who's listening, whether your leadership platform is your kitchen table or a Facebook community of tens of thousands of people um, or in-person NGO work, um, make sure that you're protecting your heart um, because this is big and heavy stuff. Um, there is shame that comes with not knowing enough. Uh, there is hurt that comes with not knowing how to do something fast enough. Um, and the onslaught of what we're seeing from around the world is, is hard. Um, so I would just encourage you to also, while your arm is out and while you're asking to link up, also make sure that you've um, built in some self-care, true self-care, uh, and protect your heart. Mm -hmm. And when I hear that, I hear of that, um, with the intention of this is the long haul strategy. Yes. Right. Yeah. We, we've got to be strong. To we have to going. be, we have to be strong and we have to be able to wake up the next day and keep doing it. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, mm -hmm. if we, if we burn out, um, if we allow others opinions of the work that we're doing get too in depth, um, then we, we can't show up the next day. Um, so it's important. Exactly. And that was, that sounds like the episode I published with Natando Saleh 180, where she talks about, she works as um, an expat who's abroad and she's a person of color. And she says that the work she does with other activists and um, women of color is around their self-care because they're exhausted mm -hmm. from the fight, right? And the only way that they can keep going is by taking first class care of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that can, that can feel hard to remember when, when so many lives are at stake. Yeah. Naomi, thank you for um, linking arms with me today. <laughs> Thanks for asking me. It means the world to me. I know that um, there's so much to take away from this. And I'm so grateful that I do transcripts of these episodes because I'm going to print this out and take notes because I know I've got my homework to do. Um, and I hope that those who are listening um, – also take what Naomi has said seriously um, and think about how you can make that your own in your work, whether it's leading the conversations at the kitchen table, the WhatsApp thread, or the Facebook group. So Naomi, again, thank you so much for being part of Expat Happy Hour. Thanks, Sunday. You've been listening to Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Schneider-Bean. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with the words from Bill Hybels. The mark of community is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of a reconciling spirit. Um. <laughs>